Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, depending on where you listen to the podcast. The podcast is available on several platforms, Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, for example. I'm Sherry Dowder. I am an occupational therapist and dysgraphia expert. Welcome to The Writing Glitch, Hacking Dysgraphia, No Pencil Required. In this episode, I'm interviewing Peggy Ployer. She is the owner of Homeschool Special Education. Oh gosh, was it about a year ago or so that you interviewed me on your visual podcast? Yes, that is correct. You were on my broadcast about a year ago. It's amazing how quickly time flies. Yeah, I'm excited to be on. Thanks for inviting me. Thank you for coming. One of the questions I ask every single one of my guests is, how are you really? That's a good question and a really hard one to answer at this point. Our our nonprofit, Sped Homeschool, is actually reorganizing tomorrow with an emergency board meeting. You can imagine I'm a little bit stressed, <laughs> but with the downtick in giving, with the recession mix going on, we really have to re-pivot on that to stay alive. So that is something that's in the back of my mind right now while we're talking. But you know what? I think in the end, this pruning process will be for the better. And it always is. Wonderful. I'm glad to hear that you're thinking about it before you, I guess, implode is the (laughs) work (laughs) way to say that. Your business is a nonprofit, which means you're totally dependent on people giving you donations. Absolutely. Yes. Keep that in mind. Anybody who's listening that does homeschool and they have a special education student that Peggy's always looking for some support. In her with her podcast and her business. So in reciprocation, how am I really? I'm just having a very peaceful day. However, awesome. this morning, Xfinity and I were not getting along very well. And I had to <laughs> run into the university early and get myself together. And I reminded you about two hours ago and I was like, oh, I hope she's going to be able to make it today. But you could have said no with everything going on behind the scenes. <laughs> oh, this is a pleasure. Time to get out of my box and my behind my screen to just have a wonderful chat. I'm looking forward to it. Wonderful. Before we go into talking a little bit about homeschool special education, I want to introduce our sponsor, and that is Daughter Educational Consulting, where we hack dysgraphia from the inside out. Our mission is to help teachers, therapists, and parents raise the next generation of leaders by hacking barriers to writing success, dysgraphia. We offer two five-day challenges, one called the Roadmap to Hacking Dysgraphia, and the other one, Math Disconnected, spelled D-Y-S, connected, to help you build the skills that you need to manage dysgraphia, apply that knowledge to the classroom, and help that next generation of leaders maximize their future. You can find out more information on my website, sherrydotter.com, and you can click on the writing or math challenge link at the menu bar. And Sherry is spelled C-H-E-R-I-D-O-E-R-E-R. All right, Peggy, without further ado, tell us a little bit more about homeschool special education. Oh, wow. That's a huge question. 
homeschooling and special education. It seems like those two have come together in the last couple of years, especially since COVID and a lot of people going, what is going on in the schools? And is special ed actually serving the needs of the child versus just serving the needs of the school or the district? And a lot of parents said, no, it's not happening. And, and we've seen that the majority of people that have continued homeschooling since COVID have been parents of children who have struggled. Special education homeschooling is booming right now, and a lot of parents are scrambling for resources, trying to figure out how to do it. I just was blessed, I guess. I didn't consider it at the time when I started homeschooling because my oldest was diagnosed on the autism spectrum at age five, and that was over 19 years ago. I've graduated all my children now out of our homeschool, and I guess I'm considered the world's expert on special education homeschooling, which I didn't set out to do. I just wanted to homeschool my kids. But we, instead of calling it special education homeschooling, I call it specialized education homeschooling, because really you can specialize your education for your child and the needs that they have, the pace that they need to go, and you have the freedom to do that when you home educate. I think that you answered one of my next questions. And that was like, how did you get started in homeschooling? You answered it, you alluded to it, that you had a son with autism, but what was happening that you pulled him, or maybe you even started from scratch that you started in kindergarten homeschooling him? What made you decide homeschooling was better than the public or the private setting for him? Yeah, I sent him to a private school. I told my husband after I went to a homeschool conference when he was in preschool, I will never do that. (laughs) And I am not like those people. (laughs) I was pretty dead set. That wasn't going to happen. But he got kicked out of kindergarten. He was in the principal's office every day. And the principal already knew what was going on. I had no clue what high-functioning autism was. And actually, at that point in time when he was diagnosed, only two books existed on the market on high-functioning autism. It wasn't even talked about. And I thought I was just failing as a parent. I couldn't get this child to behave. He had sensory issues. He had anger issues. When they said, you really should take him in to get diagnosed. And I'm like, diagnosed for what? That I'm a messed up parent and I'm going to fix my parenting. I really was, it was all about me. And then when the diagnosis of autism came back, the principal actually had a packet full of articles she had been reading in various education periodicals about this emerging diagnosis of high-functioning autism. She just came alongside me really caringly. And my son was struggling with a lot of depression as well. At age five, he was talking about committing suicide. The public school was not an option for us. My choice only was homeschooling. I put aside everything that on my agenda and made it all about my kids. And I put my career aside and stayed home with my kids and taught them. And that became, I guess, my life calling. <laughs> but, but he, my oldest son now is 25 and he is a biomedical engineer and he lives in Florida by himself. I'm so proud of him and just where he has gone. But again, it's that that loving, walking alongside him at his own pace. He was doing mechanical engineering by fourth grade, yet he couldn't read at that point. I had to figure out ways to help him to get the knowledge in that he was ready to receive, but couldn't get past those reading difficulties that he had. But again, it's that flexibility, that customized, that specialized education that we can offer as home educators. You just said that he was doing biomechanical engineering stuff in fourth grade, but could not read. Yes. 
Okay. So here comes the dysgraphia piece out of me. Was he able to write anything? If he couldn't um, read. You know, he did not write a paper for me all the way through high school. He went to college and got A's in English. I taught him the mechanics of writing. We did a lot of storytelling in our home. We did a lot of dictating, but he physically did not write anything for me. And still, he wrote an essay admission to college. He, <laughs> he more than passed English. He surpassed anything I ever expected him to be able to do in that context. But it just took him a while to get to that place. So he was able to understand the different parts of speech yeah. with an auditory perspective, but putting it down on paper and reading it, it took a little bit longer to do that. And after he, be, even before he became a reader and actually in the state that we lived in, so different states have different homeschooling laws. The state we lived in at the time that he was being homeschooled was Minnesota and they required us to do testing every year. In third grade, he tested as third and fourth grade around that age, he tested as a non-reader. It was somewhere between fifth and sixth grade that he actually leapt from being a non-reader to reading at a college level. <laughs> it was insane. But I fed this child a lot of audiobooks. We did read out louds, like really complex language type read out louds in our home. He was getting all of this language from our discussions, from our reading, and really internalizing a lot of those mechanics of writing without having to write at all. I love it because you don't need a pencil to overcome writing challenges. Exactly. I pause here because one of the things that I was talking to my son about this morning is that word that you just used is not a verb. It's a noun. I went, to me, it doesn't mean anything. Words are words. Sentence structure has never been my strong suit. And he looked at me like, are you out of your mind, mom? Like, I probably have this disability that I talk about all the time and it's never been officially diagnosed, but I sure do struggle and I work and I reword and I look at sentences going, oh, that isn't a sentence a lot of times. So I understand what he's going through. And I don't know if you knew this, but my first degree is in biochemistry. Oh, yes. Yeah. I used to work in the biomedical field and I have a degree in physics. And I'm just so excited that he's followed in my footsteps and is working in that field. <laughs> my daughter has a degree basically in physics. She's a meteorologist. Oh, okay. That's so awesome. I, my kids got this brilliant brain from my husband, but and my brother my, also, he seemed to suffer a little bit with some kind of disability with reading and writing when he was younger. I did really well at the school game, but it took me a lot of years to overcome that social emotional part, which right. I think is one of the things that you were alluding to a little bit ago, the depression when he was five. And so it only has only been a last couple of years that I've been able to get through that. Yeah, that's one of the benefits of homeschooling we found was that we, we you can take that time to deal with that because really no learning happens when you are in the wrong state of mind, when you're in depression, when you're dealing with anxiety, which so many kids do now in the school system, that anxiety just takes over. And really words are going in one ear and out the other. You have to deal with those mental health issues before you can actually teach. And not a lot of people think about that. They think I'm sending my child to school. They're of course learning, but they're in shutdown mode and they're not learning at all. Not until you can get through that can you start 
teaching. And if you look at it from a neuroscience perspective, the information coming through the senses is hitting the part of the brain that doesn't think. Yes. Like cognitively think. It has that subconscious part of thinking. It's the limbic system. And from the limbic system, it filters up to the cortex, which is where you consciously think. If you are getting that subconscious level is putting you in a fight, flight, or fright response, if you got that amygdala hijack going on, as Dr. Amon calls it, when something, the deer in headlights look, right. how many of our kids are sitting in school with the deer in headlights look that amygdala hijack just, okay, I'm here. What am I doing here? My son, I just mentioned a little bit ago, he always said, I always asked him, like, what did you learn today? Oh, I don't know. Mm. But we've also found out that both my kids had ADHD symptoms. So there could very well be some lack of memory going on there as part of that answer too. Yeah, it's been an interesting experience learning a little bit about how people learn. And I think that was one of the things that I wanted to ask you a little bit more is these struggling learners that you come in contact with How are you supporting them? You got a lot of these parents coming to you. Are you more supporting parents? Are you supporting the students? What is exactly some of the connections that you are making out there in homeschool special ed? We we support the parents. We don't have classes for students. We do believe that the parent is the, and really homeschool law across like the United States and even in other countries, because we have an international reach with our nonprofit. The parent is the main educator. And so parents can hire tutors and other people to come in. But we really want to educate the parent and change their mindset as to what teaching is really all about, how to embrace these freedoms that they have to work at their child's pace. It takes a shift because we, I know I was raised in the public school. I was taught this is what school is. You sit down, you do a book, and you go through it from beginning to end. And of course, learning happens. It doesn't. And I had to be taught these things. These are resources I wish I would have had. And that's why I founded Sped Homeschool in 2017. And so we have the number one special needs homeschooling blog. We have a variety of different articles and and we cover different content every month. Actually, we look and see where are we getting questions that we don't have content yet? How can we get more content? We fill that in with our blog as well as my live broadcast. And that goes up on our YouTube channel and then also the podcast as well. Parents have the ability to search these libraries and get the information that they need to feel comfortable with doing what they feel is what they need to do for their child. But often they feel like, oh, am I going to ruin my child if I do this? We have various experts on our show and that write for our blog, but also parents that have been there, done that, and can encourage. And it just really takes a whole community to come together and say, this works. And this, it really is the most viable solution for schooling a child that has unique learning needs. Because this is the only way you can truly cater it unless you hire a private teacher for your student. And not a lot of people financially can do that. (laughs) Home education tends to be one of those great options. With all the content that you put out, what is it that homeschool special education is providing then? Is it just the content and the education? 
what are some of the funds from your nonprofit? What are they getting dispensed in? I know I'm asking you as you're rebranding yeah, no, everything, yeah. but what is happening there? Are, are you providing classes that the parents have to take and that is what the money is being used for or where some other things are happening here. Right. All of our resources are free. And so the funds that do come into Sped Homeschool actually pay for my team members who edit the videos and publish the podcasts edit the blogs. It's for platform fees, for basic bookkeeping. I actually have not been paid in five and a half years. I have been a volunteer since the beginning. Understanding that, you can understand our funds are extremely limited. And all my team members are contractors. They aren't full-time employees. And so they're parents homeschooling their own kids that can work an hour here or there. We really do run on a very low budget and and we had a model partnership type of model. We'll be, like I said, that will more than likely be changing tomorrow. But we're looking at also businesses that that we work with. We do have some more strategic partnerships we have. And we also do a family camp every summer for families who homeschool affected by disability. Last year, we had our first camp and 12 families came and they just begged that we have it again next year because they said this was the best week we have ever had. And one family even told us after the first night, and this was, they showed up in the afternoon and we had dinner and a pool party. And by the end of the pool party, one mom took me aside and she said, even if we have to leave tomorrow morning, this is the best vacation our family has ever had. We're making an impact on that level as well. Our goal is that after this year, we'll have enough team members trained so we can duplicate this. Actually, the Illinois Homeschool Association is wanting to have their own camp. And we just need the, the funds again to have that down payment for the next camp. We've got one camp again next year, but it's really just it's coming alongside these families, living with them for a week, providing buddies for their kids because they can't even take a regular family vacation. And they've stepped away from all the services the public school to offer when they chose to homeschool. And they said, you know what? We think that we can do a better job and create a better future for our child than just sending them to school. They make a lot of sacrifices in doing that. And we want to be able to say, you know what? You deserve a vacation and we want to provide that for you. And we want to be we want to be with you when you do it. We got kids onto horses this last year. We had a mom on a wheelchair who got lifted out of her wheelchair and put on a zip line and sent across the river. It's just so much fun. We had this giant water slide and everyone was out there cheering each other down. Kids with autism that were just on this tube going ah, all the way down. And so that's the type of community that we create. And even our Facebook support group, parents come on and say, I've never experienced such a loving compassionate group before. We've cultivated that community and spent a lot of time getting people to understand this is what this group is about. We do not let other organizations come in. We actually don't even post our own materials in that group. That is just for parents to ask questions and to get answers. And then we do have a separate resource sharing group on Facebook as well, where people can post whatever they want, share whatever they want. We post on there too. But we want to cultivate those communities of what our parents really need. And that's what we're really looking at building out. And we have an incredible open rate on our newsletter because families know we know what they need and we know that they don't have a whole lot of time. We make it short and sweet. They can click on it if they need it. If they don't, they can shut the email and say, no, that's not a resource I need. And that's fine. We just want to be there for them. We don't want them to feel like that they owe us anything or that they're missing out. It's free. <laughs> they can either open it or not. Oh, I'm just thinking about the camp. Yeah. And thinking about 
resources. There's so many people out there that have resources to be able to help a camp like this. If somebody has been given that nudge, that God-given nudge to help you, where can they find the information about donating? Yeah, our website is spedhomeschool.com, special ed, S-P-E-D, homeschool.com. And you there's a donate button right on the front page. There's a donate button up in the top corner. And then you can click on a donation form and you it even gives you the ability to say, I want this donation to go towards, or you can contact our office. If you have some physical thing that you want to donate or put in the family baskets, even we create customized baskets for each of the families. We ask them ahead of time what their kids like, but we do include a lot of other materials in those baskets that help with their home education as well throughout the yeah physical donations, monetary, and also the families sometimes really struggle with even just being able to afford camp. If you want to donate towards a family scholarship, too. It's, it costs them $500 a person to come as well as our volunteers that come. And if you want to volunteer, that's another opportunity. Our volunteers actually paid to come and serve for the week. And they it's the same cost. It's the cost for room and board to be at camp. But, but we have, we're hoping to have 60 or more volunteers on site to help with a variety of different things, mostly being buddies with those families. Where is that? It is in Minnesota, Stewartville, just south of Rochester by the Mayo Clinic. By the Mayo Clinic. Amazing. Wow. I've gotten to know you so much more than I did before. I think the last time that we talked so much about what I'm doing, that this is really the first time I've been able to digest a little bit about what you're doing. Thank you for returning the favor. Oh, absolutely. I know you keep alluding to things that are free for the community. Do you have anything specific that you'd want them to have? I think you had said something to me about a checklist. Actually, it's a template and guide that we offer. One of the questions we started getting, and I actually started getting before I created SPED Homeschool, I was working as a consultant for two different state organizations before that with working with parents who homeschool struggling learners. And we found that parents were hearing back from the Social Security Administration, from doctors, from various therapists that they wanted their child's IEP. The problem was that many homeschoolers don't have IEPs because the IEP is a document generated by the public school to keep the public school accountable. But looking into the law, there's nothing against a parent writing an IEP. They're actually part of the IEP team. Writing a homeschool IEP to keep your own self accountable is perfectly valid. It's not going to keep your school accountable, but it but it does document those same things. In order for parents to be able to give the Social Security Administration this document, because many um, offices are now saying, you're not getting funds unless we get this document from you, or to get accommodations for your student for, to take the SAT or ACT. A lot of times they're asking for this type of documentation. We've created a free template and guide on how to write your own homeschool IEP. I've shared that link with Sherry. And that gives you the power to express what struggles your child has, what accommodations you need, and what you have done in your homeschool. And it records all of that just the public school has. You have that piece of paper to be able to advocate for your student and that they can use in the future to advocate for themselves. I had no idea that's what you were trying to tell me when you sent me that. Oh my. And I'm sitting here making this realization that the law does not say that you have to be in school, but yet getting funds I know is a difficult situation. 
And getting something that's medically necessary does sometimes require having that document that says that they're struggling learning in school. Wow. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, I know a friend of mine does the homeschool OT. Have you ever met Sarah Collins? Yes. Sarah actually started about the same time that Sped Homeschool did, and she's been on my show many times. We have worked with each other on and off for many years. Her episode is going to go live first cycle in February. We have one coming up that's, and then Sarah and I had a conversation and we were talking a little bit about Charlotte Mason. We were talking about conservative conversations. My experience with homeschooling as I was raising my kids was a Becca and it looked more like just a regular classroom at home. I had no idea some of the differences that homeschool can look like until I got talking with her a lot more. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And we, as an organization, I have chosen not to prefer one over the other because I find that as a mom, the best curriculum to choose is the one you like because you're the one who has to teach it. (laughs) I looked at a variety of curriculums. I actually did a test on my kids. Me being the physicist, I did an experiment. And so I I said, okay, we've got, and there wasn't a whole lot of options 19 years ago either. It's almost 20 now. So there was the traditional book method, the textbooks, there was the literature based, and there was unit studies. I thought, okay, we're going to keep some parameters, the baseline. We're going to study the same time period and the same theme. We started out with textbooks and did a the theme of seafaring in the 1800s. My kids were about to throw mutiny after a day of having textbooks and coloring pages. And I said, okay, I don't think that's for us. And I was really frustrated with it anyways, because knowing me, I don't even follow a recipe to the T. I look at the ingredients and say, oh, okay. And then I do my own thing with them. Not working. Literature-based was a little better. But again, my kids were bouncing on the couch and running around the room. And I wanted snuggle time on the couch. That wasn't going on either. I had gotten a book from the library. We tried a unit study approach. And I got 20 feet of rope and I taught them how to tie knots. And because, of course, you have to tie knots when you're on ships. And, And of course, that was the time of the pirates as well. I said, okay, you've learned all these knots. You can tie me up. I'm your prisoner as a pirate as long as you use the correct knots. And my kids were like, yes. I was like, okay, that is our method. (laughs) And my oldest actually did unit studies all the way through high school. And I loved it. It was hands-on. It was super easy to to really rally everybody of different ages around because I ended up, after I had my boys, five years later, I had my daughter. She could just tag along and do the same things with us. It, It just, it made schooling so much fun. But yet, again, some parents choose that classical approach. Some They just gravitate towards it. Some the Charlotte Mason, they really are that gentle nature. We're wild and crazy at our house. So unit study worked well. <laughs> I think that's another method that I have never heard before. Thank you. Yeah. I, am, I keep learning more about homeschooling all the time. And I'm at this point in my podcast and I'm supposed to share an intervention for the listeners. And usually I try to like glean something from what you have said. And we've talked about so many high level businessy kind of things. Like we talked a lot about your nonprofit. We talked a little bit about unit study here. 
But there was nothing in our conversation that really struck me as a really cool intervention for the listeners this time. So I'm going to go with, I think I'm going to go with the vertical figure eight today. I don't know if anybody's heard this one before or not. I'm pretty sure you have. But I think we I need to come back to this one because it's so important that we think about this, especially you audience that, that Peggy gets to hear a lot more of parents that maybe have not heard me before. I'm going to share this one because I think it's really important for these kids with special needs to understand a little bit about crossing midline. This intervention is where you put your hands out in front of you, your palms are away from you. Then you bring them together and you interlace your fingers with your palms away from you. And then what you want to do is I'm picking the number eight to write it in the air versus any other letter, but you can have kids cursively write their names. You can have them write the answer to their math questions. You can have them air write the answer to a social studies, like a fill in the blank. But if you vertically start at the top and write the number eight, you're forced to cross midline twice. You're crossing top left to bottom right. You go around the bottom, then you have the bottom right to the top left. And if you keep going and making that eight, what's different about a vertical eight from a lazy eight, which you cross right there in the middle, is that really doesn't have a diagonal in the middle. Your diagonal is off to the side, where if it's vertical, you have that whole center part of the eight where you're crossing midline. And these kids that are struggling with disability, autism, and these really complex disabilities have a real difficult time with crossing midline. This is one activity that is very quick to do that the kids can really be focused on crossing midline. And you can adapt this by putting something on the wall that has lines on it, and then they have to like air write, but follow the lines on the board. You can, instead of lines, you can put an alphabet block on the board that has the alphabet in different directions. And then they have to find the capital A and the lowercase a. And if you put them in diagonals from one another, then you can be, you're reinforcing that crossing midline and those diagonals at the same time. Great advice. Thank you. Again, before we go, Peggy, tell our audience, what's your website again? And what's the best way to get a hold of you? Sure. Our website is spedhomeschool.com. That's S-P-E-D homeschool.com. And the best way to get a hold of us is through our office. You can email office at spedhomeschool.com and that'll go. My admin will make sure your email gets where it needs to go. (laughs) I'm very jealous before I close the show. She has a team. It's me, myself, and my son. That's how I started. I'll encourage you. (laughs) Thank you. Yes. Our podcast releases on the second and fourth Tuesday of each month during the school year. Listen to previous episodes of the podcast at The Writing Glitch. Remember, you were put here for such a time as this. Post-production is managed by Sam C. Productions.